to another episode of Me and Mr. 80s. I'm Nick Me, and here, wearing his wonderful nerd-esque shirt, is Mr. 80s. Hi, everybody. It's Daryl. Thanks for joining us. I was going to mention that. You are resplendent in your, uh, is that the Dress to Kill kiss? Yes, it is. And I have got my Devo-style Revenge of the Nerds, Nerds shirt on. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but... I'm more 70s, you're more 80s. I guess that's what that means. <laughs> Which is kind of interesting, since we will be talking about a band today that bridges the eras. Mm, quite true. Born of the 80s, or born of the 70s, rather. Became a powerhouse in the 80s. We're talking about Van Halen this week. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in the Van Halen camp, because they did their warm-up show. With, <laughs> They're back again and again and yes. again. Did the warm-up show with uh, Diamond Dave last week. They got a new single coming out this week and a new album coming out next month. Uh, the first album with Dave in over 25 years and the first album, period, uh, in like 14 years for the band. Gosh, has it been sad that long since Gary Sharon? It has. Wow. And it's there's a lot to talk about with Van Halen <laughs> because... They have they just had a really remarkable story. Very true, very true. How do you want to start this? Well, I think you and I are, have an a, a interesting perspective on all this because we both like Van Halen. Mm-hmm. We both have a fair share of Van Halen albums from you know the the Dave and the Sammy eras in our collection. I think you even owned Van Halen 3 with Gary Sharon at one point. I, I did, and I, I've, I've meaning to go back and listen to it again just to, because I really, I haven't probably heard it in 10 years, and I'd like to kind of hear what it was you know, they were trying to do, because I, I actually heard that they were in the process of doing a second album with Gary, and then they stopped and just said, ah, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fans had done that before. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They said no. We're not buying that, <laughs> literally um, and figuratively. In fact, I think that album hasn't even gone platinum yet. <laughs> I think well, it's sold. Gotta hurt. It sold something like six hundred thousand copies in fourteen years. <laughs> which you know, for for Clay, anybody for who isn't Van, that's good. Yes. But for Van Halen, that's not so great. <laughs> but my point being that you know we like the band. We're not those people that that hate the band, and and we like both eras of the band. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never been one of those who picked a side. I haven't either. I mean, I, I, my favorite album all time of Van Halen's is Fifty One Fifty, which is Sammy era. Mm-hmm. But I've got plenty of albums from the Dave era. Yeah, you, they've got they've got great songs throughout. And but I guess I don't know if this is the the best launching point, but I'm just really peeved that that people are calling it a Van Halen reunion. Every time I use the word reunion, I put it in quotes because no Michael Anthony. <laughs> no reunion. Yeah, very true. In fact, I had posted on my personal Facebook page, uh, to me, when you're talking about the Van Halen sound, whatever that happens to mean, uh, Michael Anthony is actually the second most important member after Eddie. And honestly, I think they proved that with their revolving door of lead singers. <laughs> it almost really doesn't matter who you put in the lead singer spot. They were able to still be successful. Which posed the question, how are they going to do with Lee now that he's not, that they don't have Michael Anthony to make his vocals sound even better? And it seems like the most uh, rock fans that pay any kind of attention do understand Michael Anthony's contributions to the sound, but I think yeah, there's I still, about that. I think there's still a big contingent of people that don't, they kind of scratch their heads mm-hmm. and they're like the bass player, you know. <laughs> <laughs> How is he important? But it's all about those harmony vocals. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if people realize that anytime you hear a high background vocal on a Van Halen song, that's Michael Anthony. That's not David Lee Roth doing, you know, an overdub. That's not Eddie. That's not Alex. That's yeah, that is the true talent. And and when you think about you know, like Dance the Night Away from the Roth era, or even uh, When It's Love from the Hagar area, mm-hmm. era. I was thinking about that. You know, there's that, that part in When It's Love when it's the, ah, oh, when it's love. 
Okay, well, Sammy is singing the O when it's love, but the ah, 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 that's Michael Anthony. <laughs> very good, very good. And uh, I just, it's just a little disappointing to me that they had this big falling out. Well, and we were just listening to a preview of the first single that's coming out uh, next week, and it sounds like they just double-tracked you know, David Lee Roth's own vocal to try and make you know a, a Michael Anthony-esque sound to it. Uh, yeah, I, I still don't think it's going to work that well because I don't know that Roth is going to be able to do as well as uh, harmonizing his own vocals as Anthony was doing. Especially live. Oh, yeah, well. <laughs> Unless they're going to be doing the songs to... Uh to backing tracks. Backing tracks. Well, that's that's what they did in the last reunion. Because <laughs> Wolfgang apparently can't do much. Yeah. And I, I've heard reports that Wolfgang is actually an okay bass player. Uh, I haven't seen them. I didn't see the last Roth tour, so I really yeah. I don't know. I know a lot of times, uh, toward the end of the uh, the Hagar era, when they were kind of on the outs, when, when the Van Halen brothers were on the outs with Michael Anthony, uh, Eddie did a lot of the bass parts in the studio anyway. Hmm. Uh, particularly, uh, there were uh, three bonus tracks, I think, on that Best of Both Worlds compilation. And Eddie played the bass on all three of those. So I, I really wonder if Wolfgang is just a tour bassist, if he actually plays on the recordings or not. And it's hmm. such an insular community there with the Van Halen brothers that you never really know exactly what's going on. Yeah. Well, it... I, I I I haven't heard just you know people who I've seen them play you know uh, saying that it doesn't seem like Wolfgang's doing much there. Yeah. But you know, and you never know, maybe, and maybe, he could grow into it. I and mean, maybe he's got you know he's got one world tour under his belt. Maybe maybe he's kind of growing into the role. He's got good lineage because yeah, <laughs> Eddie's kind of pretty damn talented. So <laughs> and. It's it's just it's going to be interesting. They're just the wheels just kind of fell off the Van Halen machine, and I don't think that this is as much of a sure thing as a lot of people are hoping that it's going to be. Would you say this is kind of akin to uh, Chinese democracy from uh, Guns N' Roses, where you know people have been waiting so long and building up so much hype? That pretty much whatever they release is not going to, you know, please the fans as much. I would. I think the the big difference there is that with Chinese democracy, for a decade and a half, Axel kept saying it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. I promise you, it's coming next year. Oops, no, it's coming <laughs> next year. Oh, wait a minute, it's coming next year. Whereas with Van Halen, I think most people had kind of assumed we're never going to hear. Ring them off for any for more him. new music from an entity called Van Halen, and so this is more of a surprise. Because <laughs> like when Chinese Democracy was released, I think it was sort of a, a sense of finally, you know. <laughs> Whereas with this, it's more really. <laughs> <laughs> so they got that on their side. That's good. That's low expectations is always a help. <laughs> and I honestly, I have been surprised at how much press. Uh, this whole reunion has been getting, and I will tell you why. Because over the years, as music has changed, and Van Halen has not been a part of the conversation, and you now have an entire generation, if not two generations, that don't really even know what Van Halen is, they've become more and more characterized as uh, a Jurassic rock band, a band that never was relevant, uh, a band that was kind of a joke, uh, overblown cock rock. It's all, all got that kind of, uh, I don't know, wouldn't you agree that that's kind of what the line has become on the band as music has evolved? Unfortunately, yes. That, that, uh, I don't know how they, they got a tag like that, but uh, I see the same thing being... Uh, Put on to uh, Chickenfoot, the uh, yeah, the uh, their offshoot of sorts, and it's just you know, I don't know how would what, what, what would you want to label them as? I mean, what would you what would you want them to be known as rather than? I think it all goes back 
to when that first album came out. We're talking about 1978. What's going on in 1978? You've got punk, you've got disco, um, and you know punk and, and arena rock. I mean, they're, they're like the, you know, maybe the. Uh, That's, yeah, Journey. Uh, I, mean, well, I was thinking maybe something more like a. Um, um, yeah, well, I was thinking yes, yeah, something a little more proggy maybe. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and when that when that album came out, it really made people stop. I mean, people were blown away by that. It's it is still uh, considered by people over the age of twelve as one of the greatest <laughs> debut albums in history. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about very rarefied air. I mean, it's up there with Meet the Beatles and Are You Experienced, Seven One. I mean, it's it's definitely in that you know very very elite elite, elite company <laughs> exactly, and I just I think they were really more a, a victim a victim of the time because you know at the time rock was about entertainment it was about partying it was about meeting girls it was you know sex drugs and rock and roll that's kind of the what they were born out of, and that's mm-hmm. sort of what they stood for throughout the Roth era. And during the time that it was coming out as new music, that was fine because it fit right in. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere along the line, uh, I don't know if we can blame it on the grunge era. I blame everything on the grunge <laughs> era. So, But it, it, music had to be about something more, which is kind of strange because you know Dylan was doing music about something more before Van Halen. Really? There was something before Van Halen? <laughs> and so I don't really know. I don't know when this happened that uh, serious music could not coexist in a world with fun music. But it seems like it can't anymore. Uh, Even I, though I wouldn't exactly call Lady Gaga serious music. I think I, I think fun rock is now uh, Nickelback. Oh. And I fucking hate them. I just... Uh, yeah, I, I. Although you, I mean, it pains me to say this, but you can definitely draw a more direct line from Van Halen to Nickelback. Yes. Than you can from Van Halen <laughs> to the other stuff that's popular right now. That is what I don't understand. I mean, you know, there was really something to me. The problem with Nickelback isn't that you know they seem to be okay musicians. They seem to have okay vocals. It, but it just doesn't seem like there's any. Um, passion in the, in their songs. It just sort of seems like, like they have a formula. Alright, ABA, throw in a, you know, a semi, you know, a relevant lyric, a, a semi heartfelt word, and we'll have a hit single. And it just, you know, I never got that from Van Halen. I never felt like, I felt like there was a party going on and you were invited when you put on the album. Yeah. And I don't ever get that from Nickelback. And honestly, what you're talking about there, that had a lot to do with the showmanship of David Lee Roth, yeah. who in, in his time was you know, considered one of the great front men. Yeah, very much. And But, but it still translated of, to, the, to the music, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's another one of those things where they say he was a great front man, but he was also a great lead singer. I mean, he really... He really brought it all to the party. I mean, when you were, you know, uh, hearing him, you know, sing, and, you know, they were, uh, that point in, uh, uh, wow, Unchained, and they just sort of had the breakdown where you hear him talking to the, mm-hmm. the studio guy. You know, it's just, you know, it's, it's still, ha- he has that fun, mm-hmm. you know, kind of smart ass attitude that he brings all the time, and that's, you know, that's an excellent quality. So when they first burst onto the scene, everybody's blown away by Eddie, Eddie's guitar played, and they're, and they're, and, and they're immediately saying that he is the the greatest guitar player since Hendrix, and that that pretty much that line has stayed. But and so it was almost like too much of a good thing because you know Van Halen in the in the Roth era they're putting out an album roughly every year. Yeah, maybe there's a two year gap in between them, but they're they're putting out a lot of stuff. And so then Van Halen fatigue does kind of start to set in amongst the rock critics. And the big criticism is that Eddie is a technician, but he doesn't have any soul in his playing, which actually ties into what you're saying about Nickelback. 
Yeah, and I don't hear that at all. I mean, you you hear the uh, the intro to little guitars, and you can just you know it, it, you know there's there's emotion in that. You know, uh, maybe something like an eruption. You know, one of those little solo breaks where he was really being technically proficient. Absolutely, but you know there was still you know um, emotional uh, involvement in the songs in his you know in his uh, playing even back then. And so what happens, of course, is uh, they're always a big band. They're always selling out arenas. But 1984, the album, comes along and really changes everything. That is the album that made them pop stars, for lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah. And because of the dawn of video, it really kind of pushes Roth to the front. Wow, they were everywhere. He was everywhere. And so because of this, you know, based based purely on his charisma, he puts out this solo EP in 85, which um, at the time would just seem to be a, a little side avenue. I mean, it was a four-track EP. It doesn't seem like any kind of big, grand statement of I'm going solo. It doesn't seem like any kind of thumbing your nose... At the band that made you, but somehow from this EP, because of the wildly memorable videos that he produces, the next thing you know, he's leaving the band. He's going to become a solo artist. He's going to become an actor. He's got all of these designs on 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 being kind of his own conglomerate. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes that causes all of this to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you have any any remembrances from that era of what you're thinking as you hear David Lee Roth is leaving Van Halen? Oddly enough, uh, oddly enough for that one, no. I mean, I remember uh, um, Hagar leaving a lot more and read a lot more about wh- what happened and why the breakup happened. But as far as the only thing I really remember uh, hearing about why he left was when they got back together at the MTV Music Awards. Right. And uh, he, for anyone who didn't see it, David Lee Roth kind of, you know, flipped the switch and turned on to Dave the Superstar, and he really was, you know, um, being very, you know, uh, animated and gregarious and kind of taking over the mic and talking for everybody else and really took over... You know, any sort of happening with the press and the band, Roth just sort of, you know, became Mr. Frontman. And at the time, I heard that that pissed off uh, Eddie Van Halen completely because that's why they got rid of him to begin with. So I don't really know how, you know, how exactly it happened, you know, the first time, but uh, apparently it had something to do with him being, you know, being too much of a uh, a figurehead, I'm, maybe Eddie Van Halen wanted some of the press for himself. So maybe, but then you know it, that to me always seemed like an odd statement to say because I think you know Hagar maybe wasn't as out in front as David Lee Roth, but he was still you know the more focus than Eddie Van Halen. So if if Roth was taking away the focus from Betty Van Halen, Hagar pretty much did the same thing. Right. And, and I think that we learned a lot about Roth leaving the band when Sammy left the band. Because at the time that Roth left the band, the the common perception was, and you got to remember, uh, folks listening, that this is happening in an era where pretty much the only place you're going to be getting information about this is either on MTV or in uh, rock and roll print magazines like Rolling Stone. You know, it wasn't, we didn't have Twitter and the internet <laughs> and all that kind of stuff available to us at the time where people within the organization have an easy outlet to kind of spread rumors and you know, maybe spread their snap judgments or whatever. So we really only knew kind of what reporters could find out, and there were very few reporters that really even cared to dig. But at the time... Mm-hmm. It was pretty much viewed as this is something that David Lee Roth is inflicting on Van Halen because of his massive ego. And really, Van Halen came out of it, uh, the band Van Halen came out of it uh, with the feeling being, what are they going to do without him? 
They did pretty well. <laughs> and, and so the way it turned out was pretty remarkable because, you know, Roth had a pretty decent solo run there for a while, but then just dropped off the face of the earth. Yeah. Well, his, uh, I think his product, because I was always kind of paying attention to the solo albums and, you know, the at the start it started really well, you know, but I think maybe... I always wondered if it was the musicianship. I mean, you know, at the beginning he was getting people like Steve Vai to play with him, and at the end he was, you know, on a you know minor label with nobody really around him. And I think he needs he needs talent with him. I don't mm-hmm. think he's as good. At, you know, he's a good singer and he's a good front man, but I don't know exactly how great a songwriter is. I don't know how great he is at crafting melodies, and I think he needs. That's why I think, if anything, this thing's going to work, because I think he needs Eddie as much as Eddie needs him. I would agree with that statement, and I think that Roth's solo career has kind of borne that out, that yeah. that he really, even though he is one of the greatest frontmen of all time, that's really not enough. He does need that, that backing, that support. Mm-hmm. But also what happened when Roth left... Uh, there was kind of a minor footnote in the rock press that, uh, oh, by the way, the entire management team and the record producer, Ted Templeman, they went with Dave. And at the time, we're thinking to ourselves, well, that's kind of a dick move. You know, why, why would you do that? But fast forward to the end of the Sammy years, and what do we find out? We find out that the Van Halen brothers really are kind of flaky, you know? Yeah, that's that's a nice way of seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> and we find out a lot more about the inner workings and the egos of the band when when Sammy is is pushed out because and there's so many conflicting stories because well, what is it from from uh balance uh Eddie was tired of Sammy writing about drugs and sex, drugs and sex. He wanted to do he wanted something um, that wasn't, that was more, uh, as you were saying, he wanted something that had more heart and more soul to it. And, you know, Sammy just wanted to write the party songs. And if I'm right, it was... Amsterdam. Was it Amsterdam? Amsterdam that he wrote specifically to yes. piss off Eddie. Yes. Actually, I was going to go somewhere else that the, uh, when he was, when they were working on Twister, the, the soundtrack for the movie Twister, mm-hmm. there is a instrumental on there that is just credited to Eddie and Alex. And from what I read, uh, Roth had done, or, uh, Hagar had done lyrics for that, and Eddie fired him because he wouldn't do any of the lyrics that he wanted, and he just said, you know, fuck you, you're done. <laughs> and that was after Balance came out, right? Correct. Yeah, because it was Balance that... The, I think the, the, the Twister song that has Hagar on there is the last thing they did together. Humans being? Yes. Which is a pretty terrible song. Yes. But it's so, got emotion. Yeah. <laughs> so, so on balance, uh, Eddie comes up with this, this music that he really likes a lot. And so Sammy, just to spite him, writes the song Amsterdam, which is all about the city of Amsterdam and all of the debauchery that is available there. How nice. <laughs> but what's crazy about all this, Nick, and uh, you know, I, I sympathize with the listeners who don't know all this about Van Halen, it can get really confusing because on the one hand, they're saying all you do, Eddie, or all you do, Sammy, is write about sex and drugs, okay? But then you look at the Roth era, and that is quite literally what they did. all they did was party <laughs> songs. Meanwhile, when... Sammy comes into the group, he is writing lyrics that are a bit more about uh, human emotion and the search for connection. They're, they're love songs, but Van Halen had never done love songs. Well, they still did point. more stuff, I mean, like Right Now and Dreams. And, you know, and are, uh, there's you a know. track called Mine All Mine off of OU812 mm-hmm. that is you know, very much about uh, a lot of stuff that was going on at the world at the time with you know the fall of the TV preachers. And who can you put your trust in and stuff? And so, I mean, Sammy had written lyrics that were much more expansive than anything they'd done during the Roth era. And yet, toward the end of Sammy's run, you're hearing all he writes about is sex and drugs, but it's plainly not true. Well, did was Sammy the only writer on those songs? I mean, maybe yes, something he, like he wrote the lyrics. Okay, 
the, the singer always wrote the lyrics. That's kind of how Van Halen I thought that works. was, but yeah. Because hmm. Eddie is not a lyric writer at all. Too bad for him. <laughs> Isn't that kind of suck to have that much talent and gift to write, you know, to uh, craft a great song with guitar and melody? And, you know, he also played the keyboards, and he can play drums like his brother. Can't sing. Can't write a lyric. Actually started out playing drums. That's right. He and Alex traded instruments. Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> so, you know, when Sammy leaves the group... Well, another interesting thing that happens, of course, is when Sammy joins the band, is uh, you start getting these superstar lags in between albums. Yeah. You know, we're in an era now where if you're a big star, you're putting out a new record every three years instead of every year. And a lot of people put the blame for that on Sammy, that it was taking too long. Meanwhile, Sammy leaves the group and goes on this tear of solo albums, and actually puts out a string of rather brilliant solo records, especially considering his age and how when rock and rollers get over 40, their output tends to not only slow down, but just generally weaken. Mm -hmm. He totally defies that with Marching to Mars and Red Voodoo and 1013 and Not for Sale, you know? And then what is Van Halen able to do in that time? They put out the one shot with Gary Sharon. (laughs) <laughs> and then they fall off the face of the earth. And all we're hearing about, basically, is that uh, Sammy and Alex just want to drink all day. And that, you know, Eddie's losing, or that Eddie and, Eddie and Alex just want to drink all day. You know, Eddie's losing part of his tongue to, to cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, just crazy, crazy stuff. Well, obviously some of it might have been true if, you know, he got divorced from... Valerie Bertinelli. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I remember keep hearing about the, uh, you know, whether or not it's true, but, you know, she keeps saying, stop doing this, or I'm going to leave, stop doing this, or I'm going to leave, and then she leaves. Hmm. That, that's unfortunate, but, you know, what do you do? You're a rock star. That's, you know, you're living the sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle. Just don't write a song about it, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and Sammy wrote in his book about, uh, when he got back with the Van Halen brothers for the for the tour mm-hmm. uh, to support that uh, that greatest hits album, and I mean the scene that he describes is it's just incredible. I mean Eddie's living in this mansion with cobwebs all over the place and sleeping on a mattress in his living room and basically living like a homeless person, but surrounded by all this wealth. I mean, it's it's just, it sounds like he's come completely unhinged. Hmm. So then that really does make me want to hear what the uh, new album sounds like. (laughs) I don't know if you read, uh, there was an interview with Sammy that uh, RollingStone.com did, kind of asking for his thoughts. And uh, he's saying that what he's heard is that this new album is going to consist of songs that predate Van Halen 1 that they have sort of dusted off and you know they're either songs that only existed in demo form so they had you know they've they've cut new versions of them yeah. or they're songs that had been worked on and so maybe there's actually tracks from 30 some years ago that they're just kind of sweetening up uh well, that's interesting. So it's it's just, uh, which, yeah, you know, there's a large fan contingency out there that's saying, hey, that's great. You know, these are melodies and songs that they wrote when they were young and had energy, and so this album is going to be awesome. And well, that that's a that's a good idea, but uh, when you write a song at 18 and play it when you're 50 plus, 50 plus, <laughs> 58. Uh, <laughs> and I, I don't think you're, you know, well, yeah. Remember that we were talking about the whole uh, Nickelback, you know, trying to put a formula in there, ABA, mm-hmm. emotional, heartfelt lyric, click, you know, single. And that kind of sounds like what they would be doing there. You know, it's, you're, you're not in the same emotional state. You're not really going to be able to put that kind of um, mark on it that you would have done at 18. So hmm, that 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 worries me. Now, I'd, I'd much rather hear a song about what they're dealing with 
now or what they think now rather than what they thought 30, 40 years ago. And apparently Eddie, for the last 20 years, has really just wanted to be an instrumental artist. That when Sammy left, he was, you know, kept threatening that 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 was going to be his next move. That he was just going to start putting out solo albums of instrumentals. And I'm I'm he saying to myself, there's a market for that. Well, yeah, Joe Santriani has built his whole fucking career on that. Go so, for it. <laughs> so you know, if that's what you want to do, you're you're Eddie freaking Van Halen. Do it. So yeah. why haven't you done it? Why do you just sit there and on your mattress in your living room, <laughs> drinking straight whiskey? Collecting royalty checks and not doing anything. Yeah, how do you really that much talent? How do you just sit there and let it waste? So you had a uh, you had a bootleg DVD of the Sammy reunion tour, correct? Yes. And so, what kind of shape did the band seem like they were in at that show? That was a great show. I mean, uh, to me, I was I was surprised at how, I mean, everyone in the band seemed to get along great. I mean, they were. They were laughing and having fun, and they were joking with each other. And, you know, there were times where, you know, uh, Sammy would be running around. He'd just put his arm on Eddie like you'd seen him do, you know, 10 or 15 years ago during their tours. And because uh, I'd seen, I saw them on the uh, Right Here, Right Now tour when they were at the place I was working at. And, you know, then seeing this video, which was basically, um, it was a... Uh, someone had filmed the the jumbotrons. The jumbotrons. Thank you. And uh, so it was an excellent quality. So it wasn't like you were really just kind of like squinting to see. They really it was just what they'd filmed for inside the the amphitheaters and stuff. And it looked great. And they were just uh, if it was an act, it was an impressively good act. And it was an act because we now know yeah. that before this tour even starts, they already don't want Michael Anthony. Sammy says, I'm not doing the tour unless Mike is on the tour. And then the Van Halen brothers come back and say, okay, fine, he can be on the tour, but he's got to sign this contract that basically says he's a paid employee and he's not going to get a percentage. He's going to get a salary. And to uh, to his detriment, I think, Michael Anthony says, okay. If I, At that point, if I were Michael Anthony, I would have been like, to hell with you. Well, um, I guess, you know... For the fans, maybe that's a good thing. I mean, because really, it, it it did seem like a really great party. You know, it really did seem like everyone was having fun, and it was a great show. And if that's all, you know, if you don't know any of the behind-the-scenes stuff and you just went to that concert, you'd have had a great time. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, as a fan, that's what you would have wanted. You know, when I saw when I saw Kiss reunite back in, you know, 95 or something, you know, I didn't know any sort of, you know, infighting between, you know, Ace and Peter and all that stuff. And, you know, didn't know anything about that. Just went there, had a great time. So the professionalism yeah. kind of carried them, you think? Yeah. Well, it seemed to have. I mean, Sammy's even said that uh, that he ended up swinging some of his percentage Mike's way because he felt like he was being ripped off. So egregiously yeah. undercompensated <laughs> for his involvement on the tour. Yeah, that, that kind of sucks. So it's just this is what makes Van Halen such a compelling story, in my opinion, because there's just all of this, there's all this stuff going on behind the scenes, and I mean, in my heart of hearts, I just I can't believe that David Lee Roth is back in this band right now for anything other than business reasons. I just can't imagine that they're all buddies. <laughs> yeah, it seems. I think the 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 part of this that seems the most is that it's. Really tough to be Eddie's friend. <laughs> I mean, it, well, yeah, he, he seems to be, and you know, who knows what's in his head, but it seems like he can be, he can be a real dick at times to his friends. I mean, you know, he, that's, that's a shame. But again, you know, in the same sort of, you know, vein as the uh, reunion concert with Sammy, if they can do it and they can do something that the fans will enjoy, you know, don't read the, uh, don't read the news wires about, you know, all the crap behind the scenes. Just go to the concert and listen or buy the single and buy the album and enjoy it. And <laughs> Maybe that'll be all. <laughs> yeah, and Sammy says that the, the, the tell, that Eddie, that the tell that Eddie has uh, that he's drunk on stage hmm. is uh, when he takes his shirt off 
Oh, he did that in the one I saw. And uh, <laughs> apparently he does all the wacky ponytails and stuff with like the rubber bands in his hair. So when he's rocking that look, he's wasted. He was wasted in the concert I saw the video for. I would love to know <laughs> what kind of bonding insurance the promoters of this tour are going to have to take out. I mean, it's a very uh, impressive schedule of dates that they've released for the North American leg, bypassing Cleveland, by the way. Dicks. The closest they're coming is Pittsburgh, which didn't you two do that to us as well? Yeah. A lot of the big shows are uh, totally bypassing the Rock and Roll City anymore, which I, I'm not quite sure why. Well, I, I think that goes through a whole lot of things of uh, who's in control of the uh, concert tours around here. Yeah. And we don't really have any good one. <laughs> hmm. Well, that's a that's a real shame. Now, Roth, um, at around the time with of the MTV shenanigans that you were talking about, uh, the, the Greatest Hits Volume 1 was mm-hmm. coming out, and they had recorded two new songs with Roth on lead vocals. And I remember hearing those on the radio and being very disappointed at the quality of uh, Roth's vocals. You could really tell that there was some studio sweetening going on. He oh, just, yeah. he did not, he did not sound good. He sounded like his, his voice had been trashed. And, and normally when you reach a certain age as a singer and that happens, there's no coming back from it. Mm-hmm. And yet, on the last world tour and then, uh, with this That's club, true. the club gig that they just did, and there's some clips up on YouTube, he sounds in remarkable form. Mm-hmm. And he has kept himself in awesome shape. Oh, yeah. He did look good. And I just wonder how that happens. Hmm. Well, you can, you can fake looking good with plastic surgery, but once your voice is gone, it's gone. <laughs> well, and plastic surgery won't put, you know, a decent set of abs on him. So his, his people, his abs on the last tour, I mean, he was like 52, I think, yeah. on the last tour, and he had washboard abs. It was freaking insane. Yeah. Damn impressive. Um, well, I, I kind of wonder, you know, with the uh, the news of like uh, Adele having that problem with her vocal cords, which they uh, something I read said, you know, at you know uh, years ago it could have been a career ending problem, mm-hmm. and now it's something where she can just take you know six months off and she can go back to singing. It could be that that's something that Roth was having a problem with. Maybe there's some sort of technical science that has happened in the last, you know, 10 years or something that has fixed whatever problem he was having, and that's why he's sounding as good as he, he is. So you mentioned at the uh, the outset of the show that, you know, we're both, we can appreciate both eras, and yet mm-hmm. it does seem like uh, Van Halen fans are largely divided between Roth era and Sammy era. I would say that by and large, when you think about your hardcore Van Halen fans, they probably fall into the the Dave camp. Mm-hmm. What I wonder about, are there any like hardcore fans of Extreme that loved Gary Sharon era? Is there somewhere out there among the 600,000 people that bought Van Halen 3 that are just sitting there and hoping and waiting that maybe there's going to be a reunion of the Gary Sharon era Van Halen? What do you think about that? I, I'm really doubting even Gary Sharon wasn't a fan of the Gary Sharon era. <laughs> yeah, I really, I would love to know how in the world that happened. I mean, I can see if you're Gary Sharon and they say, you know, we want you for our lead singer. You're going to say yes to Van Halen. That sounds like a kick-ass gig. But uh, why did they ask him? <laughs> Didn't they have a second? And I guess, I, you know, I remember hearing uh, Sammy talk about listening to the album. And I think he said he literally fell off the couch when he heard uh, Sharon singing because it sounded so ridiculously much like him. Yeah. So I guess maybe that was the thought. Um, they, just someone who can sound like Hagar for the songs that they were working on. What's funny though is when Extreme was still a working unit, you never thought Gary Sharon no. sounded like Sammy. And then they put out that Without You single, 
And I remember the first time I heard the single was when the video premiered on MTV, and it was like this weird winter theme, oh, or like yeah. in an igloo or something. And he starts singing, and I had the exact same reaction. This was before I even heard about Sammy's reaction, where I'm like, <laughs> that freaking sounds like him lip syncing to a Sammy Hagar track. What the heck, man? <laughs> it really did. It sounded spookily <laughs> like Hagar. I, I agree. But it didn't sound like that throughout the entire album. So did they hire him just for that one song to say fuck you to to Sammy? I mean, like, it just, none of that makes any sense. No. And then the fact that I hear that they were working on new tracks with him, and I, I think it was Sharon or something, that it must have been him that was saying, maybe it was even Michael Anthony, that was saying that there was some sort of, you know, direction that they were going in with these uh, new singles and new songs that they were writing with Sharon that were going to be really, you know, new and inventive for Van Halen. Obviously, that failed miserably, but I, I, I'll have to search for that. I'll, I'd love to see if there's somewhere out there that someone has, uh, you know, one of those songs from that era that I'd love to hear. <laughs> I think, you know, it's just, yeah, no, no, no one's hoping for a reunion of that. I, <laughs> no. Well, and when they, when they got Sammy as the replacement, uh, and there's been there's been a lot of debate of exactly how famous was Sammy Hagar when he joined Van Halen, and did he, did Van Halen help him more than he helped Van Halen? All I can tell you is that when it was announced that he was joining Van Halen as the lead singer, mm-hmm. there was this collective sigh of relief among people who liked Van Halen, who were like, "Okay, everything's going to be fine," and, and it was considered. A pretty big coup. It was considered a really good get. People were excited about it. And mm-hmm. I, th- and I think that is the cachet that Sammy brought with him. So, you know, whether you're talking about who is more famous, Van Halen or Sammy, because a lot of people have sort of denigrated the types of venues that Sammy was playing as a solo artist that he couldn't sell out stadiums, but Van Halen could sell out stadiums. And that is probably true because you know Van Halen was really at the at the top at the top at the top at the top of the heap. But Hagar was not a slouch. I mean this is not this is not a Judas Priest getting Ripper Owens kind of a situation. <laughs> Nothing against Ripper Owens. I mean he's from this area and he's a talented guy. But nobody had, had really heard of him when he joined Priest. I mean, right. Sammy had... That was an out-of-left-field. Sammy like, was making his living, doing music. He was a star. And I really don't think that he needed Van Halen. I think he he could have he, he would have been perfectly content. Would you say, though, that he was really a one-hit wonder? Because, I mean, despite the fact that he was, you know, with Montrose and had singles, I think the only thing that ever in my mind, ever charted highly was Can't Drive 55. Uh, I guess what I remember him for is, you know, a lot of the stuff off of Standing Hampton, which was a, a big hard rock uh, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And then Your Love is Driving Me Crazy off of the Three Lock Box album. I mean, that was a, that's an awesome song. Uh and he had done the original version of, uh, and he, he wrote, and wrote I've, I've done everything for you that, that Springfield uh, made popular. You know, Sammy always had a great ear for melody. He's a, he's a pure songwriter who does not really need to collaborate, unlike Dave. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I Can't Drive 55 became kind of a phenomenon. Yeah. But a, a phenomenon where I believe he was already poised that his next album would have been even bigger. It just so happened that the next album then that comes out after VOA, which is the I Can't Drive 55 album, is his first solo album that he's releasing after he's joined Van Halen. So we'll never really know how much of a boost he got because of that. Mm-hmm. But I think that he he was already, as, as far as going from star to superstar, he was already ascending. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, yeah I think he would have become a, a big star, you know, based on you know what his solo careers have done and all that. Uh, but did it help? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't think he gets a, his own tequila without it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, especially since that all comes out of you know the. I mean, Cabo Wabo was initially mm-hmm. a Van Halen thing. I mean, the the song Cabo Wabo is a Van Halen song. It's on a Van Halen album. They bought the club together, 
and that, they still own it though, do they? No, they don't. And that, I mean, I can't believe what shitty businessmen these Van Halen <laughs> brothers must be that, to just sell their interest outright to Sammy. Yeah, that, well, they they don't seem to have a history of making great decisions when it comes down to it. You know, uh, pissing off their management when you know dumping Roth, you know, dumping Sammy, picking Sharon, um, business ventures. You know, uh, they didn't. Wasn't there something about them wanting to block Michael Anthony from doing a barbecue sauce? Or yes, yes. they didn't like all of these outside. Interest. They didn't uh, like. I think Sammy wanted to sell Cabo merchandise mm-hmm. at the merch tent during the shows, and they're like, "Absolutely not! It's got to be Van Halen." And then you know, Michael Anthony starts his own line of hot sauces and barbecue sauces, and they hit the roof. Until I just said that, how many of you even knew that Michael Anthony had his own line of barbecue and hot sauces? I mean, it, it, what a silly thing to get upset about. Yeah. So. So now you know, let's, we're living in an era, let's, let's, let's take us back to the era just a few years ago where Van Halen has been dormant for over a decade. Uh, the David Lee Roth experiment uh, has has failed, and we pretty much think that we've put the nail in the coffin of Van Halen. It's never going to exist again. Uh, Michael Anthony is definitely completely out of the group now because there was that kind of gray area where it, he was Sammy's buddy and Sammy had been fired and we kind of thought, well, how is that really going to fly with the band? But he was still part of the band, blah, blah, blah. And basically what I'm trying to lead up to is Sammy announces Chickenfoot, yes. where it's him and Michael Anthony. Okay, that's half of Van Halen. Joe Satriani, a highly technical guitar virtuoso, <laughs> much like Eddie. And a drummer. And we start saying to ourselves, oh, my God, this is the return of Van Hagar. And so if we can't have Van Halen, we're going to have Van Hagar. And I got really excited. And that first Chicken Foot album came out, and it was faceless, hard rock. I don't want to say crap, but pretty close to crap. I think they had some good songs, but I didn't think it was... Um I didn't think it was as good as I wanted it to be. Definitely. And it makes me wonder... But you, you haven't listened to the second album, correct? I have. Okay, you have. And, and it's an improvement. Yes. It's a big improvement, but it's still, it still is, does not have the Van Hagar sound that I crave. And what I wonder about is uh, Satriani's solo stuff is so open and melodic. Mm-hmm. You know, with a, with you know, a fair amount of of shredding and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it seems like when he when he gets down to writing riffs for songs that are going to have vocals, he just kind of gets thrashy and dull. That's my read on it. I don't know where that comes from. Probably because he doesn't have much experience in doing, you know, the vocal part of it. Because he, I mean, he wrote he, he wrote songs with vocals in his solo career. He quickly abandoned it, but yeah. he he was successful when he did it. The tracks on um, "Flying in a Blue Dream." That have vocals are, are good songs. What was the? There was one that I, I remember hearing a lot. I uh, believe, maybe. I believe, yeah. Which is a good song. Yeah. And I still think on the new album, uh, Chicken Foot Three, which is only the second album, uh, even though they are making more use of uh, Mike's harmonies, it's still not where I think it needs to be. <laughs> more harmonies. How much do we have to tell you? More. Am I am I wrong? Am I wrong? Am I, am I just? I do uh, love his harmonies. So okay. yes. I mean, if they, if they, they can always put more on there. But I, I think there's some really, really good tracks on that album. It is, it is an improvement. Although the first single, Bigfoot, I was, was not, that the first single. Oh, I, I, I wasn't all that one. impressed with that one. Then the second single, that uh, three and a half letters. Wow, how is wow different devil? Is it should have should have been a single for them, because that to me is is as close to they've to the Van Halen. And Hagar sound as they've uh, they've gotten, so they're still not quite there. So I don't know if um, uh, if they're going to get closer, maybe on the next release. Yeah, I think you know. I'm not convinced that uh, Chad Smith is the appropriate drummer for them. Yeah. Uh, he, he's yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, drumming and drummers is tough to to pick out. I mean. Uh, I, I, to me, I, I've always noticed with the Van Halen things is that uh, 
um, Alex has very distinctive. He always he does a, a lot of writing and where the ride the the symbol. And to me, that always you know kind of made a distinctive sound, almost like a Michael Anthony and that the way he used his drumming. So maybe maybe if there maybe if they had a drummer who was a little more Alex, because I think drumming wise, I think maybe that's. You know, Santriani goes off of maybe what other people are doing, and if it's kind of a, a more heavy rhythmic thing, then he's not doing something as melodic. And if you're not doing something as melodic with the guitar, you're not doing something as melodic with the harmonies, and then you're not getting that Ben Halen sound, which they also may be trying to avoid. They may be trying to go for a more hard rock. For some reason, I don't like this term, but butt rock. Don't really know why they call it that, but I don't either. I remember, yeah, that was the that was the subhead for Rolling Stones review, big boned butt rock, and I'm like, what the hell does that even mean? Yeah, Uh, yeah, I I, shakes your butt. I I, really, that's (laughs) (laughs) well to me, Alex does two things primarily. Number one, he stays in the pocket and he plays it heavy. I mean, uh, it's always been said that. He buys the heaviest drumsticks that you can buy and then turns them around and holds them by the small end. <laughs> so that is kind of, you know, he's, he's in the pocket and he plays it hard and heavy. But then he also does with his accents and uh, his fills, he does tend to follow the melody. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, you know, Chuck Smith comes, or Chad Smith, comes more from the the funk rock background, and then even more so, who they're taking out on tour for the North American Chickenfoot tour is Kenny Aronoff from uh, John Mellencamp's band, and uh, Kenny Aronoff is uh, an awesome drummer, but uh, does a lot more uh, counter rhythm and a lot more fills, and he's almost uh, I don't know if this description is going to fly or not, but it's kind of like uh, if Neil Peart was in a garage band. That's kind <laughs> of Kenny Aronoff style. That's an interesting thought. And I don't think it's going to fit either. Yeah, that doesn't sound like it's. Hmm, that's an odd thought. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe there. Hmm. I, I would love to hear what a jam with <laughs> on a on a you know just a a song with them and what they'd come up with with Kenny. That seems weird. But, hmm, well, that's... I'm curious to see some YouTube hmm. clips of what they sound like with Kenny Aronoff. I just, I think Chad Smith is a very faceless drummer. I just don't think he has a whole lot of pizzazz. I agree. And I, I think, think that, I think they need a drummer. And so the fact that Aronoff does at least have a more distinct style. I mean, you can, you can hear Kenny Aronoff play it on a track and tell it's him. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll help, even though it's not quite what we're expecting as far as the Alex style, maybe it'll be even better. That could be. I'll, I'll have to look for clips from that. That'd be interesting. So, Who would you want for them as a drummer? I would want Mark Dunham. <laughs> I'm being deadly serious. I think he would be an awesome drummer for Chickenfoot. Hmm. I wonder if he's still alive. He is. He is really I'm Facebook. Nice. I'm Facebook friends with him. Oh, well. He is alive and well, married with a child. Very cool. This is uh, Mark Dunham to all of you that <laughs> that aren't in this room. <laughs> You're going, who the hell is Mark Dunham? Uh, Mark Dunham is a guy that we know uh, and have, have played with on occasion. Uh, we've never been in bands with him, but you know when, we, when we've been trying to get our music thing going every now and again, he's done us a favor of... Uh, being the uh, the drummer for us, and he's played in uh, local bands and whatnot. And his style, although I wouldn't say he's got an Alex Van Halen style, uh, he definitely, when he's in the pocket, it's loud and it's hard and it's heavy. And the guy can uh, keep a beat like nobody's business. And I, I really do think that he would be a good fit for Chicken he's, Foot. He has a great feel. I mean, I always was totally impressed with uh, watching him play. So, hey, Mark, you know, if you're out there listening, maybe I'll, maybe I'll tag you when I uh, 
promote this show. <laughs> there you go. Get on that. Send some tapes to Sammy. Join Chickenfoot. We think it'd be a good move for you. <laughs> Excellent idea. So what are your hopes for the new look Van Halen with Van Halen brother, Van Halen son, and DLR? <laughs> if they put out, you know, best case scenario, um, actually, I think I have some of the uh, recordings from their pre-first uh, album that mm-hmm. I'd, I'd heard, and there were some interesting songs there. So if they can, you know, figure out how to craft those and, and give me, you know, uh, uh, stomping back in the Wayback Machine and give me a, a Van Halen album from 78 coming out, you know, tomorrow, hell yeah, I'll take that. You know, I mean, they, from what, you know, we could hear from the YouTube clips of them at their uh, rehearsal gig and the uh, clip from the... Uh, single, it's completely possible. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, love it. That'd be, that would be awesome. And I think that, I think this album has the potential to be a good album. Uh, I am not looking for it to fall flat on its face. I think that uh, it's got everything going for it, but I think it's going to be, it's never going to be anything other than a nostalgia act. Well, because yeah. I just think that time has passed them by. Well, you know, I've uh, I've listened to a lot of albums from bands that I liked, and they've kind of like stopped for a while and come back. Uh, the first album that uh, Rat did when they uh, reformed in like '94 and put out a, a new self-titled album with the yellow cover on there, they had some really great fucking tracks on there. And uh, when Living Color reformed, the first one they put out was a little hit and miss. But the second album, there was, again, some really, you know, some good tracks on there. So I'm, I, w- I would expect that it's not going to be maybe a solid album. But I think that there's probably, you know, I'm hoping for at least, you know, a few really good songs out of it. Yeah, I guess my final word on it would be that uh, if it turns out to be an excellent sounding David Lee Roth Van Halen album, I'm not going to be surprised at all. But if there's an if they put out another album after this, I'll eat my hat because it's not happening. This is it. <laughs> this is it. This is the last Van Halen album. Yeah, by this time they'll probably kill each other when they go on tour, and they won't be able to be another <laughs> album after it. Right. So, I mean, something something's <laughs> going to go wrong. They're either going to hate Dave again, which is most likely. Eddie's going to die of alcohol poisoning. Uh, I mean, some this is it. So Van Halen fans, enjoy enjoy it while it lasts, because <laughs> this is it. You yeah. never thought you were going to get it, so just enjoy it for what it is. It's a one-shot. Yeah, hopefully it'll be a really good one-shot. Straight to the heart. <laughs> so any, uh, any final thoughts on... Uh, Van Halen, Van Hagar, Van Roth, Van Sharon. Um, I'd love to hear from Gary Sharon. Uh, <laughs> if you're out there, please give us a call. Write, send us a note. Tell us how the hell you got into Van Halen. Thanks. <laughs> All right. I guess that wraps it up. So, uh, let's see. We tell them to be our friend on Facebook. Well, so far... You folks in the Philippines, you folks in New Zealand, Germany, the United Kingdom, you folks in Brazil and in Argentina, you're not doing it. <laughs> you get Facebook there, right? Step it up. Facebook.com, type in Mr80s, M-I-S-T-E-R space 80S. You don't type the word space, you hit the space bar when I said space. And come on, like our page. You'll get all the updates, you'll get to take a look at photos here at Panda Rock Studios to see what it looks like. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a cool thing. Absolutely. Uh, you can shoot us an email at mr80s at rocketmail.com or you can visit our blog at uh, mr80s.wordpress.com. And I think that's all. Oh, I, one thing I did want to mention mm. is that I discovered, this is completely separate from Van Halen, but I discovered a really cool reissue label called Numero. Mm. And so I wanted to, I, I don't have anything to do with this company, but I wanted to direct our listeners, if they're, if they're fans of music, uh, particularly, uh, this, this label so far specializes in, uh, soul, disco, gospel, and power pop. Mm. 
uh, go to numerogroup.com, N-U-M-E-R-O-G-R-O-U-P.com. It's pretty amazing. What they do is they scour the uh, United States for local and regional labels from the 70s and 80s, and they put out collections of the master tapes that were owned by those companies. And a lot of times what those companies are doing is they're trying to cater to the market that exists in the 70s and the 80s. And so you get a lot of cool stuff that is heavily influenced by music, you know, soul music, disco music, power pop music that was popular of the era but never really got widely released. And so it's it's like this alternate universe <laughs> of 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 eras of music. So if you're into that kind of stuff, uh, I suggest you uh, check them out. Excellent. So that's it. Good night, David Morse, wherever you are.